There's no secret. It's turnovers. And, uh, you know, this team, we have a gift habit. You know, we get given away points early in games and then try to fight our way back. It was a 10-point game. We had three or four possessions to get it within one and just couldn't get it done. Uh, really good football team we're playing. And uh, when you make those kind of mistakes, you're not going to win uh, against a really good team. Um, but it's been a habit. And it's, it's one that we have to break. No matter whose fault it is, it's just been, it's been a habit of, of a gift early in the first quarter and then playing hard from there on out. I think as a team, it's, it's frustrating as a coach because I see us practicing and preparing extremely hard. I mean, guys are staying extra hours uh, to prepare, but then it's not showing up on Sunday. And uh, for me as a coach, it's, it's my job to figure out why. And, uh, and that, that's kind of where we're at right now. This is Mike Allstott, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast. Cannon Fire Podcast, brother! When you hear the sound of the drum, we'll be saying, here we come. Yeah, here we come. Hey, here we come. Uh, Check out Hope, man. We're good. Kicking these balls. listening and you're missing out. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Back at you today for episode 83. Buccaneers, we're back in Tampa Bay for the second week in a row. Looking to make something of the two-week homestand that they had after a victory against the Cardinals last week. And uh, as fate would have it, that's not the way things went. Buccaneers lose 34-17 to in embarrassing fashion against the New Orleans Saints, and they move their season record to 3-7. and seven. We're going to talk about everything that you need to know from the game here today on the show. These are the, these are the games that just make it hard to do stuff like this, but we're going to power through it, and we're going to do it for you, uh, because at the end of the day, as disappointed as we are, you, me, everyone listening, we all love this football team, and it sucks to suck, but that's where we are right now. If you're new around here, I am your host as always, Rhett Matthew. 
Evan is still out. He's on his way back from vacation. I actually think he'll be back for the Thursday game preview show. So filling in today like he has before. Coming in clutch. You know him as Mr. Bucks Nation, our good friend James Hill. James, how are you doing today, man? Good, man. Thank you for having me again. Uh, you know, this this sucked. This just sucked. It sucked. <laughs> there, there's, no way, there's no way around it. There's no it, other way to phrase it. It's, it's just... It sucked to watch. Yeah, it's it sucked to watch. Uh, both if you were there and on TV. Uh, second, you know, second time this year, the Buccaneers were just flat out embarrassed by the Saints. Oh, it sucks. It just sucks. I mean, geez, that's all you can really say about it, you know. And it's crazy too because the way that things played out, you might as well have just watched the first game against New Orleans. Surprisingly, a much closer game. Uh, at least what the box score would indicate, and that one was in New Orleans. So the fact yeah. that the Saints came to Tampa and beat us by 17 just goes to show how much of an answer this team did not have for the New Orleans Saints. And it seems like whenever we play New Orleans, we just have no answer. Like, they have us figured out everything that's going to get going. They were down Marshawn Lattimore this week. You and I talked about it on the game preview show. They were down Marshawn Lattimore... And for the first half of the game, I don't think Mike Evans had a catch. I think he had maybe one target, one catch. Yeah, around around there, man. I mean, it, he finished with some stats, but definitely not a Mike Evans day. And we kind of thought he was going to break that thousand uh, thousand yard mark this game, but it didn't end up happening. Yeah, they uh, they do. I don't know. I don't know what it is about the Saints. They always have an answer. I mean, they're just a you know, playoff team, Super Bowl team, potentially, you know, they're just one of the best and they have an answer for a lot of teams this year. And the Buccaneers were just another casualty. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, they were getting beat at every single phase. I mean, every, yeah, every single phase of the game, you know, they were just getting beat on the offensive side, on the defensive side. And, yep. you know, when you got a, you know, a defense as good as they got, and then the offense is what it is for them. Uh, this was already going to be a tough game to win, but yeah, it, it, it was way, Way bad. <laughs> it wasn't good. <laughs> like you, know? you said, you look at this game, Bucks were beat in every aspect. You had a, an offensive line who couldn't block. You had a pass rush who couldn't hit home when it mattered. A secondary who couldn't cover. A run game that couldn't get going. But on top of all of that, you also had some NFL referees giving New Orleans the game. And we're going to talk about that later because there's quite a bit that needs to be said about those damn referees. But first, before we break down anything from the game... I do want to give a quick shout-out to Phil in Dunedin. Now, I was watching the game out in Dunedin because uh, I had worked a broadcast for work from 11 to 1. We wrapped up right at 1, and it was at a sports bar, Eddie's in Dunedin, Eddie's Bar and Grill. I'm not really over there on that side of town. So I said, screw it. I took my own vehicle to the event, and I stayed there, and I watched the game. I'm never in Dunedin. I don't know anybody in Dunedin, dude. There's really, I mean, to be frank, no disrespect to people who live out there, there's not a lot to do in Dunedin, except for maybe watch the Phillies do spring training. But, you know, so I'm out yeah. there in uncharted territory watching the Bucks game, watching this disaster. And towards the end of the game, I'm standing at the bar as Jameis throws his last and fourth interception of the day. And this dude walks up and he's like, what's up, Rhett? And it was kind of weird. Like, I've never had anyone I don't know just address me by my name. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it probably helped that I had my Cannon Fire shirt on, but uh, he, he came up, he introduced himself, his name was Phil, he was a big fan of the show, and he loved listening to us. He actually watches us on YouTube and doesn't listen to us. 
But uh, big shout out to Phil. So it was cool talking to him, getting to meet him, and uh, yeah, man, he's just another passionate Bucks fan. We kind of talked about the off season a little bit, and uh, I had some cannon fire shirts on hand i was able to hook him up with a shirt and a sticker as well but big shout out to phil over in dunedin and anybody listening in dunedin no disrespect but uh it is kind of a boring town <laughs> wait wait wait! i'm confused wait did, did you say that phil watches you on youtube but doesn't listen or he does well listen? no no no. he so he doesn't listen on our podcast sources he just uh, he watches the videos on youtube which is cool i i think I, that's i think it's the best way to experience the show with the video I, I honest to God thought you meant like he'll turn on the YouTube show and then just hit the mute button and then just yeah, sit there and watch. Me. I was like, what? I was yeah, like, Phil's, so one of, Phil's one of those guys. He's a little weird, but no, yeah. <laughs> that's no, those that's, Dunedin people. That's dude. awesome. Shout out to you, Phil. That's that's awesome. Man. Yeah, that's shout cool. out to Phil and uh, thanks for the support, brother. We really do appreciate it. And go Bucks. Yeah, go, go Bucks, man. That's <sighs> awesome. So enough putting off this game. Let's talk about it, James. Yeah, oh my god. There's oh. a lot to unpack here. There there, there really is. And um, we're going to open things up with uh, what we do after every game. And it's a quick little stats recap. We'll go through some stat lines that really jumped out and made me notice during the game on Sunday. And uh, we'll break those down. First and foremost, the guy that is on everybody's mind right now. That's Bucks quarterback Jameis Winston. Let's open it up, talk about him. His stat line for Sunday. 30 for 51, 313 yards, two touchdowns, and four interceptions. Um, oh, God, the pause. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'll say this. Jameis did not play a good game. He did not. But I'm not 100% ready. Well, I'm not ready to put 100% of the blame on Jameis. Oh, He's no. certainly not helping his cause. He didn't help us win more than anyone else did on Sunday. But you also look at what he dealt with. The yeah. offensive line was a complete failure. Two yeah. sacks, 12 quarterback hits. They got no production in the run game. Actually, the run game was just thrown out the window barely into the first quarter. Yeah. Because, believe it or not, we were behind three possessions before halftime. Yeah, twenty. it was 20-0 to zero at the end of the first quarter, I believe, right? Yeah. yeah. That's That's crazy. <sighs> yeah, but all day, Winston was consistently pressured. The offensive line just seemed completely overmatched by the Saints' front seven. They couldn't adjust. Uh, they couldn't adjust the blitz packages. Whatever running back you had back there could not pick up a blitz. We knew Dario Gambale couldn't do it. Ronald Jones isn't that great at blocking. So Dennis Allen, he had this offense figured out, just like he did when they played in New Orleans. He really had their number, and. Uh, he had it out for him, but this offensive line did Jameis zero favors. And let's talk about two of the four interceptions that he had, right? Right. The first interception, O.J. Howard. That was that I was incredible. Seen, I haven't seen a play like that. And, you know, we've seen the ball fly out of Winston's hands so far this year, but I haven't seen an interception like that or a, a, a boneheaded play like that. I feel like since like the 0809 like 2010 era. You know what I mean? Like I that feel was like just so so dumb. You know? I am convinced that things like that only happen in Tampa. Yeah, like it do I, that doesn't ha that doesn't that doesn't happen to Tom Brady. Stuff like that doesn't happen to winners, right? Let me say this. Tom Brady, Tom Brady doesn't get mono and miss four games. No. Right? Like, it's, it just doesn't happen. It happens to Sam Darnold and the Jets because they're Sam Darnold and the freaking Jets. 
But yeah, winners yeah. do not find ways for stupid stuff like this to happen. And, I yeah. mean, Jameis threw the ball right on the money, right in OJ's hands. Yeah. And I don't know what he tried to do. I don't know if he tried to, like, put it behind his back to get it away from the defender. I don't know if he just couldn't hang on to the football. That's, but something that's... happened to where the ball was out of his hands and picked up by the linebacker who was right there, whose name is escaping me at the moment. But he DeMario, was able to make a play on the ball. Demario Davis. Maybe? It probably was Demario Davis, guy with the, the dreadlocks. Right, Demario Davis. Yes. I think I think what it was was like OJ tr- didn't reel it in all the way at first, so he kind of lost control of it. Tried to catch it behind his back. Should have just which, dropped it, dude. You know, at that point, Jesus, just throw it in, like just just drop it. You know, you know, just just let it go. The uh, second, <laughs> the second interception that James had. It wasn't a good throw by any means. He didn't throw it directly in the receiver's hands. If anything, he threw it more at the linebacker. But the linebacker couldn't reel it in. It bounces up and over the receiver, who I believe was Chris Godwin. Mm. And then it lands in another defender's hand, and it's another interception. Those two first-half interceptions, I really it's just hard for me to put that on him. You know, I said earlier yeah. on the show, I'm I'm not defending the guy. I'm... I'm you know, when he has a bad game, I'm going to say that he has a bad game because the second right. two interceptions that he had, one was the overthrow, and then the other one was that last uh, throw into the corner of the end zone, which I guess half the team thought was whistled dead. But the miscommunication and the freak of nature events that seem to happen for Jameis Winston interceptions, if you take all of those crazy-ass interceptions away, he's probably got, like, 25 less on his career. Yeah, I mean, Bruce Bruce even said uh, when they asked him about his 18 interceptions, uh, you know, uh, Bruce had said, oh, well, you know, I, I only see 10. That's fine. Whatever. Right. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I think this. 10's a little generous. Uh, me and Evan talked about it. I think 13 or 12 is a more realistic number. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm not going to dispute everything. You know, I'm not going to dispute that. There were some interceptions this year and even in this game that were Jameis Winston, Winston's fault. Uh, the OJ Howard thing, Jesus, that was all on OJ. Uh, yeah. The Chris Godwin one, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, it, that looked like it hit Kiko Alonso right in his chest. Yeah. You know, um, that could be a lot of factors. It could be a poor route by the wide receiver. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know what the play calling is. I don't know what that play was. I don't know what route the wide receiver was supposed to run. Um, and then the two interceptions, the one where he threw it just seemingly way too high into the air that hit the, the, yeah, that was a bad safety, overthrow. And that was a pick six. And then the final one in the end zone, um, you know, the end zone one, that one was what it was, but the pick six one, uh, even Bruce said, you know, that one just got away from him. That one got too high up in the air, and he attributed a little bit of that to his ankle injury, which I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, it, these James Winston interceptions, not all of them are his fault, and we're not saying that, you know, uh, but it does lead more to a problem of turning the ball over as a whole, as an offense, okay? Um, yeah. And I want to mention that real quick, is this offense needs to stop turning the ball over in games. This isn't rocket science. Yeah. Uh, so far this year, the Buccaneers offense has a negative 10 turnover margin. Negative 10. They have 10 more giveaways than takeaways as a team. That's not good. They average right now two and a half turnovers by the offense per game. Two and a half. That's sad. That's, 
You cannot win games. And if you look at the numbers, the teams that are losing games this year are turning the ball over on the offensive side of the ball, be it interceptions, be it fumbles, be whatever it is. So, yes, a couple of these interceptions were James Winston's fault, and he needs to improve. The offense as a whole needs to improve, okay? I, it's not just Jameis Winston's fault, and we all understand that, but th this offense needs to fix their turnover problem, be it wide receiver route running, be it not fumbling the ball, being being it holding on to the ball better, be it Jameis Winston's throwing and decision-making. Um, all of those things factor into this offense um, turning the ball over, and all these things need to be corrected because when you stop turning the ball over, you're going to start winning games more because the more you turn over the ball, and I have seen this, Red, I don't know if you've seen Seen this but there have been some people out there who have said the interceptions don't matter why do they matter they don't matter here's why the interceptions and the turnovers matter whenever you turn over the ball on the offense you give the opposing offense another chance to score points well let's okay? look at it this way as well i mean right at the beginning of the game the interception we just talked about with oj howard that gave the Saints prime field position for guaranteed points and if i remember correctly they only held them to three I believe I, I um I believe they scored a touchdown off of it. Did they? Uh, okay, yeah, maybe you're right. What well, one of the, I know one of the interceptions they scored a touchdown off of, and then factoring in the pick six later on in the game, that's 14 more points that the Saints wouldn't have had if those interceptions never happened. And again. Not all James Winston's fault, but the offense needs to fix that. Again, the more turnovers you have, the more opportunities you give the opposing team to score points, and you're not going to win games like that, okay? So that's what this offense really needs to clean up, James Winston included, because while he is not the main problem, he is a factor to that problem. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not going to say James had a good game. He did not have a good game. But he did not have what the stat line shows as a terrible Jameis Winston football game. Right. Uh, there's just a lot of factors into it. And before we kind of move on from Jameis here, let's touch on that injury a little bit. Because that was concerning towards the end of the game. Bruce Arians came out in his post-game press conference and said, if Jameis dictates that he's fine and he says he's healthy, he's going to play. But right. watching the last five minutes of the Buck saints game, after Donovan Smith completely whiffed his block... And there was a low hit on Jameis right to the ankle that, you know, wasn't called, naturally. Um, he kind of rolled his ankle. I think it came back. It was a medial ankle sprain. Right. Dude, he is limping. Bad. In the pocket, through Bad the huddle, limp. from the sideline. He threw that pick six, and he was running as fast as he could to try and catch the safety who caught it. And... He He's he, limping. Like, it's yeah. such a sad sight to see. And I'm not saying, like, I'm not up in arms as to why he wasn't pulled out of the game. Because the answer was given to us. If he is healthy, if he dictates that he's healthy, then he's going to play. Right. That's fine and dandy. But come on, dude. You're down 17. With five you minutes just left. Just threw a pick six. You know, with around five, six minutes left. I don't know why Ryan Griffin couldn't have gotten his first regular season experience. And I know maybe it's a confidence thing. You know, we know how Jameis is with being benched. Yeah, he's being benched in the last five minutes of the game after a terrible loss and a bad game overall. But yeah. give the guy some rest. Don't yeah. let him back out there to get hit again. Potentially another ankle hit because then you're dealing with a potential season-ending injury. You, you know, um... 
this offensive line let Jameis down in such a huge way. He threw the ball 51 times. Bruce has said before, you're not going to win any game throwing the ball 51 times. And I understand why you had to abandon the run game. You were down 20 to zero by the end of the first quarter. You're going to pass the ball a lot. Yeah. But the fact that the offensive line, especially the tackles positions, Donovan Smith, Damar Dodson, they let Jameis Winston down in, in such a huge way. And even the offensive line as a whole, even the interior of the offensive line, which a lot of uh, Bucks fans and myself included has thought it's been a strength to the offensive line even they struggled in this game right uh, but but it was specifically the tackles uh, i want to mention here is they got Jameis hurt by their play they got Jameis winston hurt uh you know and i understand he's throwing the ball 51 times mistakes are going to happen with those tackles but you know you, you can't let your quarterback get hurt and they did that in this game uh bruce really should have overruled Jameis. i understand that Jameis Winston, you know, he is a tough guy. Bruce even said he's too tough for his own good at some points. But Bruce has eyes, you know, and I'm not going to knock him, but he really should have overruled Jameis there and said, no, man, you're, you've are you got to get out of this game. Like, Ryan Griffin, go in there. And, and not even, like we said, not even for performance reasons, just for simply safety reasons. Because Keep if him- Jameis does get hurt, if he aggravates that ankle injury even further, which at that point hadn't even been diagnosed. Right. You, you you didn't know what was wrong with him. Right. He suffers a season-ending injury, and then what? And then this, I mean, this season is even more of a wash than it is right now. Bruce is kind of stuck with his thumb up his ass because he was brought here for Jameis to be his guy. And for his own arrogance to go out there and get him seriously hurt, which didn't happen, thank God. Yeah. But we talk about potential, and we... Just talk about, you know, questioning some of the decisions this staff has made. I'm not major on questioning Bruce Arians and the staff because it is a great staff. It is. It's a big freaking staff, like 29 coaches or something or other. You know, I'm not big on questioning Bruce Arians, but there are some things, especially this week, that we do have to bring into question and discuss, which, to be fair, he has given us an answer for. But right. right after the game, there were some things said that I simply do not buy. But yeah, Jameis Winston, not a good game. Not a bad game, but not a good game. Hopefully he can bounce back against Atlanta, and uh, we'll see what happens. Atlanta's playing red hot right now. Just beat two of the best teams in the NFC South, so we'll see how that game goes. Yeah. But for now, let's focus on something else this Bucks team didn't do very well, and it's something you had mentioned. They really gave up on the run game, right? Continuing with our stats recap, a big stat that jumps out to me is Ronald Jones, a guy who has really shaped himself and proven that he can be our starting running back. You gave him the carries against Seattle. He had a good game. He showed some flashes against Arizona. Didn't get nearly as many carries, but he's shown that when you feed him the ball, he can do things. He got 106 yards from scrimmage last week against Arizona because he's valuable as a receiving back. He didn't get an opportunity to do very much this week at all. His stat line on the ground, four carries for 13 yards. Why can't we just commit to the run game? I mean, Bruce said that they abandoned the run early due to playing from behind, and I get it. You're going to throw the ball. You want to catch up. But I think they bailed on it way too early. It seemed like halfway through the first quarter, they were done, right? Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, exactly. You know, four carries, you know, uh, that's, that's abysmal. 
That is absolutely abysmal. I believe that's the lowest in franchise history for this for their carries as a team. Uh, like what you just said, like yes, they were down twenty don't forget, to zero. Don't forget though, Dario Ogunbowale got two carries. You know how many yards he picked up off of those? Like negative two or something? Uh, zero, but it's oh. all the same. Uh, well, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, you can have the argument of they were down 20 to zero at the end of the first quarter. Um, and, you know, it, of course, they're going to pass. And I, I do agree with that. I do. That's kind of my thoughts on that. But I also understand the the point of making of like you have to have a more balanced offense. Bruce always preaches about how if you're going to throw the ball 50 times, you're not going to win the game. Well, that's exactly what the offense did. Right. So why? You know what I mean? It's like he's almost, you know, and again, I'm not, you know, dissing, trying to discredit Bruce here. Uh, I understand things do have to happen, but it, it, it is kind of weird that like his offensive coordinator, Byron Leftwich, did something that, Bruce feels you can't win games whenever you do it. You know what I mean? Well, and that's that's the thing as well. That first half, there was nothing balanced about the offensive game plan. It just looked lost. And it goes back yeah. to what I said about whenever we play New Orleans. I don't know what it is, but whenever game plan we have the week before, the week that we play the Saints, it just gets flipped on its head. Nothing works. You can't – like there isn't any commitment to the game plan a week prior. I'm not going to say had they come out with the same game plan that they did against Seattle, it would have been a much more competitive game because the Saints are a dynamic team. They're going to make adjustments every single week, and they're going to know how to beat you because they're a Super Bowl-caliber football team. But yeah, I I don't know, man. you you got to balance things up. And even when you're losing by 20, dropping your quarterback to throw 90% of the game is going to lead to more hits because he's already playing behind a terrible offensive line. So after seven attempts of trying to get the run game going, you just bail out and call it a day. You got to make it easier on your quarterback. You got to give him a break. Oh, you yeah. got to run the ball. You got to develop your starting running back, who is Ronald Jones, because I still don't fully believe Peyton Barber is going to be here next year. Now, the way that the year has played out, his stats have not looked super great. He's had some moments. He had the game-winning touchdown last week. But I don't know. I still expect him to hit the market in free agency, and I expect him to get picked up by another team looking for a solid running back that he can be when he gets the carries. But that's the problem with the run game, that there is none because there's no carries to be given. So, yeah, I mean, run game was abandoned, and there you go, like we said. Had yeah, your quarterback yeah. drop back 90% of the game, it's just it's not going to do anything for you. This team looked lost. It's a recipe for disaster, man. I mean, the team just looked was playing from behind the whole game. Uh, they had no momentum in their favor. The literally the entire game, they had no momentum in their favor. Uh, they never just really they the offense just never really felt like that they were fully together. It was clunky. Uh, it was weird. Uh, you know, it was it was just not a good effort by the offense out there. Now, let's wrap uh, let's wrap up our stats recap with. Some pretty good stat lines, believe it or not. There are two big stat lines that jump out to me from Sunday's game, and it's really the only good thing we're going to talk about from the game here today on the show. Those stat lines belong to two guys named Cameron Brait and Scotty Miller. Now, Cam Brait, 10 receptions for 73 yards. We're going to put an asterisk next to Cam Brait because I want to talk about Scotty Miller, and then I want to go into our next point because it has to do with Cam Brait. Okay. But let's talk about Scotty Miller. Four receptions for 71 yards. Nice to see the rookie finally show up and make a play when he's called to, right? Yeah, I, I really think that this is the game where we start to see Scotty Miller 
cut into Brashad Perriman's playing time a little bit because uh, it seems like he finally started to get stuff going earlier on this year. You know, we've seen some passes go Scotty Miller's way, and it just seen, seems like it's seen it's a lot never of touchdowns worked. go right through his hands too. Yeah, you know, it just seems like it hasn't worked. Be it, you know not a good timing with the route running or with the ball throwing. It just seems like it wasn't there yet in terms of chemistry, in terms of whatever, whatever, or, you know, ne- running out of the end zone and then running well, back in that works too. <laughs> right. You know, whatever, whatever needed to work, it just wasn't working with Scotty Miller yet. And uh, this is the game where we kind of finally started to see that he really should have had a touchdown if he wouldn't have fell down, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you know, it seems like this is where stuff finally started to click a little bit, which is good because, again, you know, the Buccaneers need more balance in their receiving targets. You know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, this game yet again showed that whenever those two guys are pretty much bottled up for most of the game, the offense doesn't know where to go right. uh, to, to a great amount. So it was nice to see Scotty Miller kind of show up and be that next guy of like, hey, I can also be a weapon, too. And the same thing can also be said with Cameron Braid. So we need those guys moving forward to be uh you know more consistent moving forward with their chemistry with winston and you know being able to go out there and make some type of impact in the game absolutely you love to see scotty miller come up really just any experience for the rookie that's positive um because so far this season he has not had a ton of positive experience but days like yesterday are just good to see especially when you're lacking that wide receiver three position let's move on to our next point and again this has to do with why i put an asterisk next to Cameron Braid's name. It's OJ Howard. Let's talk a little bit more about OJ. We talked about his circus catch interception a little earlier. Um, I don't know what he tried to do. I watched the play 20 times. We just talked about it. I don't know if he could get a handle on it. Whatever the case, he bumbled the ball. Saints intercepted it, just like he did week one against the San Francisco 49ers. But he didn't see another target after that happened. And you look at the common theme with OJ Howard this season. I am 100% convinced that his confidence is an all time low. And I bring up cam Brait because one of the worries we had coming into this year was, well, how does Bruce Arians use his tight ends? Because his offensive game plan has a history of not favoring tight ends. We saw Cameron Brake get targeted 14 times on Sunday. So I'm convinced that it's not that they don't use their tight ends. They don't use OJ Howard. And I don't think this OJ, uh, I don't think the staff is happy with OJ at all. No, I, I agree with that 100%, man. I mean, the fact that OJ got one target, it resulted in interception, and then we, we just didn't see him the whole rest of the game, essentially. You know, I'm sure he was out there blocking at some points. Uh, but Cameron Brake got 14 targets. And he was serviceable as well. 14. You know, he did his job. He did a good job. You know, he looked like the Cameron Braid of old. Uh, but the fact that Cameron Braid got 14 targets, and I don't even think O.J. Howard has gotten uh, half of that in a game. You know? Oh, yeah, I, I don't think so either. Less than that. I don't, even, I don't even think O.J. Howard's gotten five targets in a game. Even, even last week when he had the touchdown, we really thought that was going to get the ball rolling. We thought he'd finally get back involved in this offensive game plan. Uh, but no, I, I mean... He, he didn't even get that many targets last week. So, <laughs> no, so it, it, it's just we, last week he really came into his own and he really looked like, okay, it wasn't the best game, but he did catch a touchdown. That'll help you out. And then all of that just 
bomb, you know, dive bombed into the ground <laughs> this week. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with OJ Howard after this year because it seems like every time he takes a little bit of a step forward, he takes an even bigger step back. And I, I think it's a combination of his confidence, like what you mentioned, um, and not just the confidence in himself, but the coaching staff's confidence in him. Uh, Bruce Arians has said uh, in his press conference after the game, said, you know, the guy's talented. It's just not showing up on Sundays, which. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, I, I can't disagree with that because we just haven't seen him produce yet this year. And I don't know if it's because the opportunities aren't there or what, but even whenever he has been getting thrown the ball this year, he has struggled. So it's a weird thing with OJ Howard. I don't know what's going to happen with him after this year. I genuinely don't. Uh, the, the big trade rumors, um, you know, this trade deadline were there. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward into the rest of this season and even in the upcoming offseason. And to be fair, I think if OJ does end up getting traded in the offseason or whatever the case may be, if he goes to a team where they use him properly, he's going to be a next-level tight end. I still believe that he is a next-level athlete. Oh, right one, now, 100%. his confidence is so low, and he just hasn't been given that many opportunities to really showcase. You give OJ Howard 14 targets in a game, he's going to catch 12 of them, and he's going to have a 100-plus yard game. I solely believe that. I Like, I, 100%, I believe that. But yeah. the combination of things, the mistakes... You know, the uh, the picking up a role as a blocker early on in the season, the injury that sidelined him, and now coming back and not really being able to get the ball rolling, it just really leaves things up in the air for O.J. Howard. But I really hope between now and the end of the season, they can do something to get his confidence back up. Because as serviceable as Cameron Brait was, I really want O.J. Howard to be our number one tight end. Because I believe that he can be that dynamic player that uh, tight ends are slowly evolving into. He's up there with the likes of George Kittle. Um, you know, I don't want to say Rob Gronkowski because he was a different breed. But uh, let's say Ryan Griffin in New York, right? Like these tight ends that have emerged as a little bit more game changers. I think he has that ability and I think he can be better than both of those guys I just mentioned. But oh, yeah. you, you got to have the confidence and you got to have a way to use him properly. And so far, they have not done that. And he hasn't really given us a reason to believe he can do those things. But I, I think he can. And uh, I, I, I hope something changes. I genuinely believe O.J. Howard still has the potential to be the best tight end in the NFL post-Rob Gronkowski. I believe that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just a matter because he has the raw ability. You know, even even going way back to when he was drafted, Jason Light was still like, oh, my God, how did we get him? You know, so, you know, people want to call him a bust. He's not a bust. Give him time. But stuff does need to get going back in his favor. It just seems like he's been snake bitten this year. Everything that can go wrong has gone wrong for O.J. Howard this right. year. Yeah, uh, it, you kind of look at I was having a conversation with my buddy Dash last night after the game. He brought up O.J., and um, just kind of how he was used in Dirk Cutter's offense. And we know Dirk Cutter, he's got that two tight end set, that air attack vertical offense that stretches the field. And that's where we saw him make those big plays and showcase that athletic ability um, because he was playing in an offense that benefited a tight end, especially a tight end of his caliber. But yeah, right now things just aren't coming together and uh, it's not looking very good. But like I said, hopefully between now and the end of the year, something can change because... The guy has potential, and I really want to see him use it. Now, right. there's another guy on this football team that I'm not too happy with, and uh, 
uh, like I need an explanation as to what the hell happened and what I witnessed on Sunday. But before we talk about who that is, I want to take a second to tell you guys about our Cannon Fire Podcast official merchandise that is available right now. If you haven't noticed, the past few weeks we've been promoting the hell out of it, but CFP official merchandise is on sale. We have got shirts in red or black for $20 and then stickers for $5. And get this, if you buy a shirt, I'll toss you a couple of stickers for free. Look at that. Boom, boom, boom. Value deal. The reason I bring up the merchandise is not only because I want you to buy it, but I also want to give a friendly shout out to our sponsors at Pinecrest Printing and Signs. If you have an image for your business, these guys are all over it like white on rice. And they do everything. Vehicle wraps, business cards, wide format, big posters, apparel, anything you need, they're going to get it done for you. They've been doing it in the Tampa Bay area since 2001, and they're pretty damn good. So make sure you check them out. They are Tampa Bay based and a very, very proud sponsor of the Cannon Fire podcast. You can give them a call at 813-684-5444 or you can check out their website at pinecrestprinting.com. But major shout out to these guys. We just recently got the shirts in stock and they look awesome. So if you're interested in ordering one of those, send us an email at cannonfirepodcast at gmail.com or you can send us a message on any of our social media outlets. We'll get back to you, get your ordering info out of the way, and get you a shirt. Make sure you go check it out. So, back on topic here, after my shameless plug. Yeah, I don't blame you. Hey, got to get it out there somehow. <laughs> got to get the plugs out there, man. There's another guy on this team that I'm not very happy with. And it's number 93, Indomikasu. Mmm! And Damakasu has gotten to the point of the season where he just doesn't care anymore. At least that's what I'm convinced. And, you know, this whole year, I've been somewhat quiet on Sue because he's been quiet on us. He hasn't had a blockbuster game. We've seen his effect in the run game. You know, he's played his part on that defensive line. But after what I saw on Sunday, I just can't ignore it anymore. He had a play where Alvin Kamara was in his hands. I mean, in his arms. And he just let him go. He just wimpy tackled him and, like, rubbed him on the shoulder, maybe caressed his dreadlocks a little bit. I don't know what he did. But he just let him go right by him. No effort whatsoever. A complete lack of effort. And a play like that just pushes the narrative that Sue's going to come to your team and he's just going to cash a check, just like he did in Miami. Now, I'm not, you know, like I said, he's done his part. Has he been everything we wanted him to be? Absolutely not. Has he played a big hand in why that run defense is so uh, so successful? Yes, he has. But plays like that on Sunday, there's no excuse. And uh, quite frankly, I need an explanation. You know, uh, yeah, an explanation would be nice. I'm sure somebody may ask Bruce about that or Todd Bowles or somebody here later on this week. Uh, everybody's pointing out that play of he literally, he gave no effort. It was bad. It was really, really bad. You have no effort to try and tackle him. Uh, when, when Vita Vea came to, sorry, not Vita Vea, and Dominican Sue came to this team, uh, a lot of people 
talked about his kind of mercenary type of mentality of, you know, he's going to collect his paycheck and he's only going to go to teams that he thinks may have a chance of making the playoffs. And if they're in a position where they're not going to make the playoffs, he's really going to start to lose interest, kind of like what he did with Miami. Uh, And we're seeing that now, you know, we are. Uh, we're seeing that now because he just, you know, and I know it's just one play and people are going to point to that one play as like the smoking gun, but uh, it's been more than just that one play, you know, and he has done his job in run defense, like you've said, but he's also not been everything we wanted him to be, you know, uh, so it has been there uh, 100%, um, and it, it is starting to it's starting to develop more and more into a situation of like, keep an eye on this because this might get worse, right. you know? And it just kind of goes back. You you have to bring it up. The mantra that Bruce said at the beginning of the year, if you can't play hard, you can't play in Tampa Bay. And guess what? Vernon Hargraves didn't play hard. So his ass got cut. Now he's on the Texans and we play him week 16. The fact that no explanation has been given for Indomitka Sue, especially after Sunday, and like you said, there have been a few other plays where it's clearly noticeable there is a lack of effort. I don't know what it is. It it could be, like you said, he's just cashing checks. And I'm kind of leaning towards that right now. But I don't think he'll be here next year. When you're a 3-7 oh. football team, it almost seems like you're wasting your time complaining about things like that. But... That's some things you look at, especially when you pay a guy $10 million and let go a franchise staple for eight seasons. You know? Yeah, you know, I, yeah, it, it's weird. He was brought in. He was expected to be like an anchor of this defensive line. Um, and it just seems like he hasn't really fit necessarily what's been going on. Um, he hasn't been god-awful. Like, you know, he really hasn't. He's done some good things this oh, year. Yeah, he's definitely not a Chris Baker. No, oh my god, no. Nobody could get that <laughs> bad. But like we're starting to see some of the cracks, you know, as things start to unravel with the rest of the season, we start to see more and more of the cracks come into place of like players mentalities and players um willingness to go out there and give it their all. And I think Sue is one of those first dominoes that's falling. You know what I mean? I like that. I like that. Yeah. No, but I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I think we're kind of seeing what a lot of people told us we were going to see, and uh, ultimately at this point we just have to see how it plays out for the rest of the season. But I don't think he's going to be here next year, and the position we're in now, it's really not worth being majorly up in arms over it, but definitely disappointed, and uh, you hate to see it, dude. Really just another do. just another thing to pile on, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> given this season, I mean, God, just sprinkle some more on, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Sue's effort is now coming into question, and that's just another nail in the coffin of this season so far you know absolutely you got six games left we just have to see how the buccaneers can adjust and uh if they can really give enough of a damn to finish with a better record than five and eleven six if, and ten because if, i think bruce deserves better he hasn't had a record worse than what nine and seven i think his entire head coaching career seven and nine I seven think and nine bruce. well welcome Which, to tampa bruce yeah, so you know what I, I will say pay attention to Sue moving forward and pay attention if if to Arians and staff's reaction to this moving forward if they start to think that Sue's giving a lack of effort. Because they're gonna ask him about it eventually. And I I'm, oh, yeah, I'm sure to... it was talked about in film today. Right. So pay pay attention to their reactions moving forward if they get asked about it and pay attention to Sue's effort moving forward as well. Absolutely. Now, let's move forward here, and let's kind of stay on the topic of Bruce Arians and the coaching staff, because 
They had another questionable move on Sunday that has a lot of people scratching their heads. Again, we did get an explanation for it, but I just do not completely buy it. And it has to do with that young secondary. I'm not yeah. one to question this coaching staff very often, but not having Jamel Dean, who, by the way, was the NFL's highest-rated corner last week, they didn't play. They didn't play him at all. You know, uh, yeah, they they did not. Uh, it, so, now, so it, the reason that we got, they wanted to change up the defense from man to zone after last time against the Saints because. We came out in man coverage last time, and they torched us. So they said, all right, let's play it conservative. Let's play in zone defense. And the reason that we were given that Jamel Dean didn't play any snaps on defense is because he's not good in zone. Sure, I get it. But benching a guy a week after he played the best game of his career is absolute nonsense to me. I don't understand. I, I don't get that either. Um, I did hear that reasoning of they wanted to play more man than zone. Bruce has said in the past that they're not good at playing zone right now. Uh, so I don't know why they would want to make that switch. Uh, but uh, even then, they had Mike Edwards in the slot, which I like Mike Edwards. And he played a pretty decent game, all things considered. He did give up a play that here or there. first drive, though, I mean, he came out like a bat out of hell, dude. He had the sack, and then I think he had another crucial pass breakup. But he... It, he looked pretty damn good for a whole 45 seconds. Yeah, you know, and and aside from, you know, and he, again, he still played a good, pretty, pretty, you know, pretty good rest of the game. Right. But like you said, Jamel Dean, top cornerback last week in pretty much the entire NFL. Uh, your outside cornerbacks were Sean Murphy Bunting and Carlton Davis. I thought the plan going forward was going to be having Sean Murphy Bunting in the slot and have Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis as your outside cornerbacks, and I think that might have worked better uh, yesterday than what the Buccaneers put out there. Uh, Bruce Arians even said in his press conference today, he goes, I want Jamel Dean on the field. What? <laughs> you yeah. know? What? I, I what? think, I, I just, this is a clear mistake by this coaching staff. I don't think there's any other way to label it. I think it's a mistake. I think they went into it with the intentions of, like we said, oh, we're mixing up the defense. We want to play to the strengths of our players. And Jamel Dean doesn't play very good in zone coverage. But he's not going to learn to play good in zone coverage unless he's playing bad in zone coverage. You know what I'm saying? Right. They were willing to put him out there a couple weeks ago and let him have a trial by fire. So why not do it again? Exactly. You know? And and the the big thing I want to mention, too, is, you know, let, we we... It's not just Bruce. I know a lot of people like to point to Bruce and say, hey, what are you doing? But Bruce puts a lot of faith in his assistants. He does. He has said that since the day he got here. He puts almost, uh, he puts faith in his assistants almost to a fault. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know if this was a Bruce Arians decision. I don't know if this was mainly a Todd Bowles decision. Uh, could have been a secondary coach's position decision. Who knows? Uh, it was probably a conglomeration of all of that but you know the coaching staff as a whole needs to get back together and say you know what are we doing you know we got to figure this out man right it was weird it was another weird decision that they made uh and yeah it just was weird you know again i don't like coaching questioning the coaching staff that much because it is it's an insanely accomplished coaching staff and i know people like to poke fun at that whenever they make these weird decisions um we're not football coaches, you know, we're not football experts, you know right. what I mean? At the end, we're all fans. <laughs> we don't yeah. get paid to make these decisions for a reason. Right, um, but, I, but I will say, even at, at surface value, at, you know, at surface value, 
that was a weird decision to make. Absolutely. Now, let's just say this before we move on to our final point, and I'm sure everyone knows what it is. But I'm not one to question this coaching staff, and I still believe that they have a plan moving forward. I still believe that the plan is still coming to fruition. It took about a year to get these growing pains out of the way. That's what plagued the first half of the season was growing pains, some adjustments, a terrible first half of the schedule. You and I talked about it on the phone last night. I believe that this staff has a plan. I believe that they have good intentions. I believe right now they're finding out who they want on their team for next year, and they're going to put it together. I believe the Buccaneers will compete in some capacity next year. No, I don't think they're going to com- uh, be competing for first place in the NFC South. Maybe a wild card position, but I think we're going to see some improvement. It starts with growing pains, and it starts with awkward moments like this. But I truly believe that things are going to turn around, and the staff has a plan. Right now, they're making mistakes. Right now, they're going through that bumbling process of, finding out who's good at what, but I still think they're going to find their guys. I think Bruce is going to stick around another year. I think he's going to convince his guys to stick around another year. I think players are going to buy in to what they're bringing to the table because one season, Bruce Arians' first season is not enough to convince me that he's not a good head coach hire. And I think, depending on how the offseason goes, because it's going to be a busy one, I just I, I think good days are coming, and uh, it, it starts with not only bringing Jameis back, which whether people like it or not, he's probably going to get franchise tagged, and then that's another uh, question that people bring up. Well, is he going to want to come back? If Bruce is here, I will 85% sure that Jameis will be back because yeah. he knows that Jameis is his guy, and Jameis knows that as well. Yeah. You know? I, I, it, I, I agree with that. They bring him back on a franchise tag, let's say $24 million just to be safe. If he doesn't want to come back and hits the free agency market, is he going to get paid on another team? Think about it. That's a that's a pretty risky thing for him to take, you know? Right, especially after this season. Yes, Bruce says half of those interceptions aren't his fault, but other teams aren't looking at that. They're looking at that stat line. And right now, Jameis has 18 interceptions and 19 touchdowns. He's really not helping his case. <laughs> He's on pace to finish with like 26 interceptions, which uh, I think the last person to throw that many interceptions in one year was Eli Manning. Yeah, around there, yeah. But I just, I, basically the sum of what I'm trying to say on this little rant here, I believe the coaching staff has a plan, and regardless of how these last games turn out, they're going to want to win all of them. But yeah, I you... think, I just, I don't know. It's kind of a little side note, but I'm not jumping ship. I'm not ready to give up on Bruce yet. I believe these guys have a plan, and it's just taking a little bit of time. But by next season, I think they're going to be seeing what they want to see on the football field. You know, yeah, you know, and, and I will say there have been people who have been nitpicking Bruce Arians and his coaching staff this year, and that's fine. You guys do whatever you want. I'm not going to hate you for it. Uh, but uh, I will say that, you know, there have been a lot of people who have said to me this year that, you know, this is an evaluation year for Bruce Arians. And I, I, I did want to say that, you know, I, I, of course, said they were going to go 10 and 6. If I, I'm an idiot. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I said, I'm an idiot. I, I said, I said, uh, I said eight and eight. So no worries. You know, I'm I'm an idiot, but you know the 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 thing I'm trying to say here is that you know I'm starting to believe more and more that like this is an evaluation year for Bruce Arians. I think those people were right to a certain degree because 
think about how young this team is on the on everywhere you know everywhere on on both sides of the football uh they're they're so young a lot of them are rookies or second year players in a lot of positions and uh a lot of them is like their first or second year with the team. So I think that given time to cultivate and build this roster, Bruce Arians is going to have a lot more money than he did last year to go out there and get the guys that he wants to get. So that should help out a lot. Um, you know, and in, in, in the case of Jameis Winston, he is probably going to get franchise tag. Um, he, he doesn't have to sign that franchise tag, which, again, I mean, you talk about that. That would be crazy if he just was like, nah, I don't want to sign it. You know, that's, that would <laughs> blow my mind. I'd be like, what? What are you doing? But uh, <laughs> Nah, I don't really feel like it. Yeah, you know, it's just like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to sign it. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, uh, this was the plan all along. Uh, but, you know, it, I know people want to poke holes at everything and poke holes from at the organization from top to bottom, but I really still like the hiring of Bruce Arians, and I think it is going to work um, eventually, you know, and I like the guys that Bruce Arians has, and I think that this team has some pieces moving forward um, that can work for the next two, three years, something along those lines. So, uh, yeah, this year has really sucked, and it's been very frustrating. We all know that from content creators all the way, you know, to fans, to media members, to players on the team, to the coaching staff, to the owners, everybody. Everybody knows it sucks, okay? But, you know, just give it time. Just ride out this season. I know we say that every year, but I do think that this will work eventually, and I agree with your, your a lot of your takes that you say there. Absolutely, man. We'll see what happens. A lot of football left to be played this year, but uh, it's going to suck when the season is over, regardless of how things finish. And uh, a lot of people are already looking towards April. But right now, we're talking about the rest of this season. One more point from Sunday's game to go over, and then we're going to get out of here because I don't want to talk about the Bucks for three more days. Um, <laughs> these goddamn refs. Okay. One of the most egregious penalty calls this year was flagging Mike Evans on fourth and one for offensive pass interference in the fourth quarter. Evans caught a six-yard pass. He was flagged for offensive pass interference when he did a swim move on cornerback P.J. Williams. One yard off the line of scrimmage. Basically off of the line of scrimmage. Let, and if let's... you know how pass interference rules work between a wide receiver and a cornerback, you got a five-yard buffer zone. At least that's the way that I was taught for, I don't know, 15 years. Let's go over this. Perfectly legal move, right? Right? Yeah. Ruled yeah. offensive pass interference. Head coach Bruce Arians dangles that little red challenge flag, and they might as well have stepped on it. Yeah, you know, it it, uh, it was weird. It, it was less than a yard, basically, in my opinion. I think it was less than a yard of contact that Mike Evans had. Um, and it, <laughs> laughable. It's laughable. Did you, know, also, did you also see the picture from that same exact play where P.J. Williams was a full foot offsides yeah. right in front of the line judge? It's, it's laughable, uh, and I know it's like, oh, that's an excuse. And it's like, yeah, it's not the only reason why the Buccaneers lost this game, but man, does it suck to see it. And considering how often Bruce Arians tries to hold these referees accountable, like, Jesus, you think they'd get the point. You, uh, you, <laughs> there needs to be firings. There needs to be something happening because it's not just in Tampa. It's everywhere. It's, it's, you, saw uh, it, it, you saw it in the Houston game with DeAndre yeah. Hopkins. And yeah. whoever defender was playing against him, I mean, he tackled the guy. They challenged it and upheld the ruling that there was no pass interference. 
during the Sunday's game, right? You had P.J. Williams offsides. You had Mike Evans get called for offensive pass interference. You had a very, very, very favorable first down ball spot for Drew Brees, which gave the Saints a critical first down, which was not a first down. Yeah. You had no, multiple no. delay of game penalties that were just straight up missed. Yeah, we yeah. talked about it earlier. You had a hit to the ankle, a hit below the waist, a low hit to a quarterback, which is against the rules on Jameis Winston, which was not called. But let's face it, it's Jameis Winston and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You're never going to get those calls. No. But damn it, James, something has got to give, and I'm tired of seeing it. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what to uh, Yeah, you. I know. I'm holding you <laughs> accountable, and I shouldn't, but I knew it was going to be one of those days. I, on the first drive of the game, the Buccaneers' defense got a fumble. Levante David went to scoop it up right outside of the out-of-bounds marker, and they ruled him out. I wasn't looking super hard at the TV to dispute the call, but I just knew. I just knew when you're playing the Saints, it's going to be one of those days. Well, you know, I, I would like to – well, first off, he, he was out-of-bounds when, when you see the replay. But That's uh, fair. To, 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 add, to add to your point here is the Saints ruined everything. Yeah, the I Saints really ruined th- football. I think they did because you complain so much and Sean Payton complains so much about that missed pass interference call to the point where I'm going to call the league offices, da-da-da-da-da. And, and now the league does what they do. They overcompensate. Uh, they go way overboard. Uh, they make a new rule and then don't even enforce that new rule in a justifiable way. Nobody and knows it, what pass interference is anymore. Nobody knows what pass interference is anymore. And I've seen people criticize Bruce Arians and say, oh, why is he challenging these pass interferences? They never get overturned. And my point, my counterpoint to that is it's a new rule. Why would you not? Uh, right. Oh, they're not going to get overturned. Why would you assume that? Like, it's a new rule. Of course, you're going to try and take advantage of it. You know what I mean? Well, everything uh, he's challenged has been pretty clear that it should be overturned. Right. And and I've seen some people complain and say, ah, you know, why is he challenging those? They it never works. And it's like because that's the point of the rule is to give is to is to try and challenge it. You know what I mean? Uh, so I think Bruce, and it's not an ego thing. Bruce genuinely believes that, like, hey, overturn this. The refs are like, no. And it's like, okay, the refs suck, you know? So the refs aren't good. And they're not good. They're ruining football this year. It's been abysmal. I've seen so many weeks in a row people say this game, these games are almost unwatchable because of the referees. And they're bad calls. And they're no calls. And they're calls for no reason. Uh, these referees do need to be held more accountable. I think Bruce Arians is right on that. These referees are ruining games, and they, they, they really are dictating how these things go. And I think it all goes back to the Saints saying, bah, Thanks, come on, you know, we're going to call the league offices. Now the league offices are scared because they don't want any kind of controversy, but by being so scared, they're making more controversy. It doesn't make sense. It's stupid. It's dumb. Referees need to be held accountable. Um, I'm sure, you know, it's, it's just, it's stupid, right? I agree with you. It's stupid. It's dumb. It's ruining football. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes it anywhere, okay? It's not fun. So, Jesus, fix it next, fix it this upcoming offseason. Make some tweaks to it. Figure out something in the new CBA when it's coming up. Just make changes, guys. Like, come on now. I think if something is going to be done, it's going to happen in that CBA coming up in a few seasons. Um, I think the game is, as we know it right now, which has changed a lot from 10 years ago, is going to be changed even further when that bargaining agreement finally hits the block in a few years. But no, 
The referees did not single-handedly win New Orleans the game, but they damn sure did their part in making sure they came out victorious because the Bucks weren't ready to play, but when you've got to beat the referees as well, you're going to have a rough day. Right, I agree with that 100%. That's all I've got, James. It's been a, you know, hey, right? Tell you what, I'm going to tell you what something right now, okay? Okay. Okay, you listening? I am. I know this game sucked, and I know it was sad, okay? But I have something for you. I have a punt for pups alert. That's oh, right, Bradley Pinion, the oh. people's champ. The people's champ the is people's back. champ. Two more dogs have been sponsored for adoption, Coda and October. Head over to the Pinion Pups on Instagram to check them out. And then when you fall in love, hey, go to them at the Hillsborough County Pet Resource Center and receive a Modern Paws goodie bag along with your new family member. Oh, my God, there's more dogs available. Rhett, can you believe it? That is fantastic. And by the way, if you guys didn't know, we brought up the People's Champion Bradley Pinion last week. We told you the story of how he got that nickname, why we call him that. And uh, the man himself followed up with us, and he asked us, when are we going to do a People's Champion podcast episode? So, it's I'm time. not saying Bradley Pinion's going to be on the show soon, but uh, Bradley Pinion might just be on the show soon. So keep an eye out for that. It's coming. Also, you know, pay attention to his punt for pups. Uh, it's a really cool thing, actually. It really is. Bradley Pinion, uh, I believe it's for every single punt that he gets inside the 20-yard line. Yes. Uh, a new dog is sponsored with the Hillsborough County Pet Resource Center. Um, and it's just awesome. It's dogs. Everybody loves dogs, right? You know? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I've never personally had a dog, but I love dogs. So... Oh, dude. You you don't know love until you have a dog. Exactly. You really don't. So uh, go follow Bradley Pinion on Instagram, on Twitter, um, and also go check out Punts for Pump, uh, Punts for Pups. There you go. That's a tongue twister. Um, but yeah, go check it out. Go see what's going on with that. It's a really awesome thing. It's a really awesome organization that's going on. And Bradley Pinion, the people's champ, is leading the charge for uh, making sure that these dogs get new homes. And it's just an awesome, awesome thing. Absolutely. Make sure you guys, Joe, check that out. Punts for Pups, Bradley Pinion, the people's champ, and the dog's champion out here doing great things. You love to see it. Shout out to them. But ladies and gentlemen, that's just about going to do it for this episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Thank you so much for listening or watching with video on YouTube and BucksReport.com. James, thank you for coming on the show and filling in these past two weeks, my friend. You have been very, very appreciated. And uh, let the people know where they can find more of your great Buccaneer content. You got me on Twitter. Instagram, uh, Facebook, and YouTube's where I mainly at. All of that Mr. Buck is Mr. Bucks Nation um, on there. Obviously, I talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You guys all know the song and dance at this point. Um, it's great, you know. Where we have fun doing this uh, and talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, talking on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. Okay, all the platforms. It's great. It's fun. Love it. Um, and it's just a great time. Brett, again, thank you for having me on, man. Greatly appreciated. This has been a very fun two weeks. I've had a lot of fun being an honorary member of the CFP. So, um, yeah, man, it's been fun. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We love having you in, and thank you for filling in. We really do appreciate you stepping up to the plate and knocking it out of the park. You can follow the show on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast. You can also follow myself on Instagram and Twitter at Redicus. If you follow me, I promise I'll follow you back. Before we get out of here, I do have to one more time give a shout-out to our sponsors at Pinecrest Printing and Signs. If you're watching our video, you saw I just pulled up that picture of the beautiful, official Cannon Fire Podcast merchandise 
All thanks in part to our friends at Pinecrest Printing and Signs. If you have an image for your business, something you're trying to do to make yourself stand out from the rest of the pack, they're going to get it done for you, and they're going to do a really, really good job. They're based out of Tampa Bay, and they have been helping businesses since 2001 cre uh, create an image for their business. Vehicle wraps, wide format, business cards if you're looking to stay on the cheap end side of things, stickers if you're trying to do some guerrilla marketing and badge them up at every bar you go to, whatever you need to get done. If you need some t-shirts like the ones you see on your screen right now, make sure you check these guys out. You can give them a call. The phone number is 813-684-5444 or you can check out the website at pinecrestprinting.com. I am Rhett. Signing off for James, and we will catch you guys next time. Go Bucks! Go Bucks! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.